0: So, this morning we're going to be, if you have your Bibles, in Genesis 18, and we'll be working through quite a bit of scripture all the way to Genesis 22. Uh, Before we get there, I'll give you a brief um, thought of what we're going to talk about, and it's generally sacrifice, faith, and sacrifice. And I believe that all of us are conditioned to think that sacrifice is something that we have to do to get a win. And I'll give you some examples Uh, to become a doctor. No, like for a medical doctor, it can take anywhere between 11 and 15 years of your life. And so your undergrad, graduate, residency, uh, quite a bit of time. So you're making a massive sacrifice in hopes that you'd become a doctor. But even in the simple things, like if you don't want to have cavities, what do you do? You brush your teeth. You take the time it takes to brush your teeth. At least some some of us do. Um, (laughs) If if you want to be in shape, like what do you got to do? You got to work out it hurts. There's a sacrifice. Sacrifice of time, sometimes money. If you have a gym membership, you get to sacrifice the pain. So how about a vacation? You sacrifice time, which more than likely willing to sacrifice, but also sometimes they're expensive. Sometimes they're, they're hard. And I would like to tell you about a vacation that I had a while back. When I was about 12, my dad had some friends with a, uh, a couple of boats. And so we were going to go check out some spearfishing opportunities in the Bahamas, which is pretty neat. So we go down and it's like You would think like naturally like oh that would be pretty easy it's not it's not easy at all you take the drive down you get on the boat it takes like anywhere between like four and eight hours to get across depending on how how much get beat up and it's it's incredibly like as a 12 year old crossing it's incredibly boring because there's nothing and all I remember is a copious amount of time of water hitting my face and just getting beat over and over and over by the waves Finally, you get across, you get to the land, and I still remember what that dock looks like when I got off the boat. I was like, oh, we made it, but it's not over. The sacrifice isn't done yet. So we take the boat out. We're looking for reefs, whatever. We finally find a reef, and as a 12-year-old kid, I had no idea what to expect. Like, I wasn't, like, watching YouTube videos back then, and I get in the water, and my senses explode. There's fish literally everywhere. It's, it is absolutely remarkable, and I go back up to the boat. My dad was like, just get in, just, you know, get acquainted with things. I get back up to the boat, I'm like, Dad, get me a spear. <laughs> and, and he's like, for what? I was like, everything. And so there's a lot of things you can't shoot. Like, some things are illegal, some things are dangerous. I think one of the first things I shot was a stingray, like an idiot. And, like, it's, it, but it was remarkable. But it was extremely challenging still, because you're getting, you're getting sunburned, um, ocean, water still in the face, you're extremely thirsty. Um, there's a lot of chafing going on, but we don't have to talk about that. Um, so, so, anyways, th- but if you want to shoot a fish, there's a sacrifice too. So, like, you see this massive behemoth swimming underneath you, and it's maybe 10, 15 feet down, so you, like, take a t- big, deep breath, and it's like, <sighs> you swim into the water, you go all the way down, and you're, you're aiming it up, and it's like, it's a hard spear to use. It's not like pull the trigger. you got to, like, lean back and you let go, and you thump it, and hopefully you get it in the head, so it's just a brain shot. You swim all the way down, but you're running out of oxygen. You grab the fish, come up, you gotta go all the way back up, and finally get to the top, and you're like, <clears throat> I've done it. And you look at this behemoth, and it's about half the size you thought it was. <laughs> it's like, I just killed a goldfish, but <laughs> we're still gonna eat that when we get back. You get back, flay the fish, it actually sacrifices its life. You end up eating it, and it is fantastic. But it is hard, like there are hard things. If you want to win, naturally, in your mind, you are conditioned to think, I've got to do some sacrifice, generally. So today, I want to talk about Abraham and Sarah's life within the context of sacrifice. So if you could turn to chapter 18 in Genesis, we're going to read starting in verse 1. Um, one of the things I really like about a series that we're going through is that it's, we get to read a lot of scripture. And today we're going to do that. So I would encourage you, like, we want to be a church that desires the word of God and can relax in it and, and just take it in. So I would encourage you, like, as I'm reading, um, be cognizant of, cognizant of how you are processing it and just relax under the word of God. The Lord appeared to Abraham at the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent during the heat of the day. He looked up and he saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the entrance of the, of the tent to meet them, bowed to the ground, and said, My Lord, if I have found favor with you, please do not go on past your servant. Let a little water be brought that you may wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. I will bring a bit of bread so that you may strengthen yourselves. This is why you have passed your servant's way. Later, you can continue on. Yes, they replied. Do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent and said to Sarah, Quick, Need three measures of fine flour and make bread. Abraham ran to the herd and got a tender choice calf, and he gave it to the young man who hurried to prepare it. Then Abraham took curds and milk as well as the calf he had prepared and set them before the men. He served them as they ate under the tree. Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he answered. The Lord said, I will certainly come back to you in about a year's time, and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent behind him. Abraham and Sarah were old and getting on in years, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. She laughed to herself. After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I have delight? But the Lord asked Abraham, why did, you, why did Sarah laugh, saying, Can I really have a baby when I'm old? Is anything impossible for the Lord? At that appointed time, I will come back to you, and in about a year she will have a son. Sarah denied it. I did not laugh, she said, because she was afraid. But he replied, No, you did laugh. Sarah, at this point, did not have a son, born of her womb. Sure, she was around the Hagar and Ishmael situation, and there was a child there, but, but she did not have a womb yet, or did not have a child yet. The three men that were there, um, he looked up and he saw the three men standing near him, appeared in chapter 18, and they, they had a message for Sarah. We, um, we do know that one of those men is the Lord. And the reason we know this is because Abraham actually calls one of them Adonai, and it is the same guy that he, if you remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah that we'll talk about a little bit, it is the same Lord, so the Lord, that he is negotiating with with Sodom and Gomorrah. So the Lord said, I will certainly come back to you in about a year's time, and Sarah will have a son. So Sarah laughs, and, but, but this was an internal monologue, and I don't know if you've ever had one of those. Sometimes I do when I'm driving, and for some reason, a lot of them get heated, and it's normally like I'm gonna say something because I'm frustrated, but the person is nowhere near because I'm in the car by myself. And then like at a moment, I'm like, oh shoot, like I shouldn't have said that. And they're like, wait, I didn't, like I'm safe. And I think Sarah probably thought that and was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have laughed. But then in verse 12, so she laughed after I'm worn out, but like all that's in her head. And then Sarah denied it when the Lord calls her out on it. And then he says, no, you did not. Like you did laugh. And I wonder like what Abraham was thinking at that moment. Like he would look at Sarah and be like, dude, Why'd you laugh? And then Sarah, I would think, like I'm adding all this if you haven't, like if you can't tell, like Sarah would look back at him and be like, you laughed too. And we're like, no I didn't. It's like a year ago, like Abraham laughed. Like he did the same thing. And we know it's about a year ago because Genesis 17, um, Abraham is is about 100 years old. And then 21 verse five, now Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born to him. So what happens in Genesis 17? Starting verse 15, it says, then God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and indeed, I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. Like, the situation just happened to Abraham. And, and he said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man 100 years old, and will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. So Abraham's like, yep, Ishmael. And then God, very clear. But God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son. And you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. So this is what we know. We know Sarah and Abraham were promised a child and they didn't have it. And I I feel like that would be a, a challenging moment. I, I won't go into our, Heather and I's story too much, but it was fairly challenging to have Oliver. We went through like some some challenging situations. And so I know I can somewhat understand a little bit Abraham's thought. Like, man, like this is a good thing. But Abraham more so, right? Because he was told directly by God, you will have a son. I didn't have that. But f- so for Abraham, it would be like, man, like, this is rough. Like, we still don't have one. And Sarah, for sure, like, I, w- I wish that I had a son. And I can I can think of some of their... Their conversations, like, at least I, I would instinctively think, like, did we do something wrong? Should we have done something? Did we hear God right and, or wrong? Or sh- should I have done something that I didn't do? Uh, like, I would just think naturally the, those types of questions would come up. It's, to the point, it's a very intense story. And it's challenging. And there is pain. And then we continue to Sodom and Gomorrah. That's chapter 19, and I don't want to fully go into this, but what is really important to this story, I believe, is that Abraham experienced this situation personally. He, he was interested and had interest in Sodom and Gomorrah, and he, he negotiated with God to try to not have them wiped out. And then in chapter, if you, if you look at verse 27 of chapter 19, it says, Now Abraham arose early in the morning and went to the place where he stood before the Lord, And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he saw and behold, the smoke of the land ascended like a smoke, smoke of a furnace. Abraham knew that God was serious. Like he just spent time talking with God. Well, how about 50? Like if there's 50 wrenches, will you not wipe them off? Like the face of the earth. How about 40 and 30 and all, all the way down, like just all the way down to 10. And then he wakes up and he sees like the burning ruins and I just feel like that pain probably stuck. And, and just so you know, like all of these stories, are they're packed pretty closely. So then we get to chapter 20. Um, Abraham screws up because he misrepresents his relationship to, uh, about Sarah, like to, to Sarah, to Abimelech. Um, things end up okay, uh, and then Abimelech gives Abraham some land. We're just kind of running through the narrative because um, we want to get to chapter 21, which is really exciting. Everything's hard. It's tough, it's tough, it's tough, it's tough. Chapter 21... Sarah's pregnant. Very exciting. I don't know if you've ever been told someone that is having trouble getting pregnant, and then they're pregnant. And, like, it's, it's exciting. It's an exciting moment. It is a relief. Um, maybe, like, some fear, right? Because pregnancy is scary. Um, but, but a lot of excitement. And then we get to chapter 21, and we're going to read 6 through 8. It says, Sarah said, God has made me laugh. So much relief. So much pleasure. And everyone who hears will laugh with me. She also said, who would have told Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne a son for him in his old age. The child grew and was weaned, and Abraham held a great feast on the day Isaac was weaned. The feast happens because, like, normally, scholars would normally suggest that the, the feast happened because infant mortality was so high, especially those early years. And when a child is weaned, it's like, wow, they made it. So there, there's, there's relief here. There's excitement. There's some conflict with Hagar and Ishmael. Um, Abraham ends up sending them away. And then we get to Genesis 22, and things get really weird. Genesis 22, 22 says, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he answered. Take your son, he said, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. What? Like there's so much relief and peace. Now this this is there's time in between these two stories that is important. But there's so much relief and like Sarah just like she finally had a baby and then we get to hear and my brain breaks a little bit like when I read it just because there's a lot of questions that I can't answer and I don't think we ever will be able to answer all of them. But as a compassionate person I do think about like what everyone in the story is thinking. So we'll talk about Abraham in a second. Um, but, what would Sarah have been thinking, and did she know? like did she know that this was this was going to happen, that God talked with Abraham in this way? I tend to think she probably did. Um, what would Isaac have been thinking and this is a really good place for some historical context. Um, this is we 're not one hundred percent sure that this is true, but more than likely, uh, and one of the reasons we think this is because Josephus is a historian, and he talks about um, the age of Isaac, more than likely Isaac was somewhere around 25 years old. Not 100% sure, but there, there is a very good argument that he is much older. So what was he thinking? Like, I think he was processing this. It, it is true that in verse 7 um, about the sacrifice, he does seem to ask somewhat of an innocent question about, like, hey, where's, where's the sacrifice? But he also is the one that got bound. So, like, he knows what's going on. This is not an innocent party to this situation as, as far as not, of not having knowledge. I, I think that Abraham and Isaac were processing this together, like while they were walking up the mountain. Not 100% sure, but, but I tend to think that it's that, that intense of a story and him being older. The, the, other, the, the thing that helps support the thought that he is older is because Abraham ends up giving him a bunch of the wood and he walks it up the mountain. So anyways, um, let's, let's read what happens. So 22, verse 3. So Abraham got up early in the morning. Like, he was just told to do this, and he's just going to do it. Like, that's the Abraham that we get. Faith. Incredible amounts of faith. Saddled his donkey, took with him two of his young men and his son Isaac. He split wood for a burnt offering, set out to the place where God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Like, again, like, my mind thinks, man, what if Sarah knew What would her mind have been? I don't know. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship. Then we'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. And in his hand, he took the knife, the fire and the knife. And the the two of them walked on together. This is absolute madness. And I wonder what Abraham would have been thinking. And I'm going to take a shot at this. Um, I think that he believed that his son was going to die. Like I, there, there is a thought that, and, and some scholars would say, like, there's a thought that, that maybe he just knew that a ram was going to come. But I actually think that he believed in his heart, like, this is the faith. Like, God has asked this of me, and I will have faith, and I will obey, and my son will die. And I don't I don't fully understand how you can have that much faith but i i, I do believe he had, had he had it so abraham like one of the reasons i think this is he just saw the whole covenant situation that kevin was talking about like those animals like he took them he cut them in half like he saw the blood everywhere like he the the connection to what god is pleased with is very close to this he, he also probably knew of the Genesis 8 account with the situation with Noah. And so they, they finally get off the ark, and they have all these animals. And some of those animals for, were for sacrifices. But they just got all these animals, like, through the flood. And then they kill some for a sacrifice. And why did they do it? Because it pleased God. Like, Abraham probably knew of that story. But also, like, in his mind, like, he, he has wrestled with God. In, this, in the sense of the Sodom and Gomorrah story, he knew how serious God was. So in his mind, when, he, when God asked him this, I personally believe it was, it was just like that. It's a done deal. Like, my son is going to die. In a similar sense, not truly similar, but I believe that we are conditioned in a way to think, like, to sacrifice. Like, I have to sacrifice to please God. So I'll give you an example, and I bet you can relate. Who of you, have ever in like a tight spot, you're in a, a hard situation, maybe extremely serious, and you think like, man, like, what can I give up to please God? Or maybe something that like, really traumatic is happening, and your, your initial thought is like, oh man, God's mad at me. Like, I gotta give something up to please him. So I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna take you back to the Bahamas for a second. So we're in the Bahamas, and we're done, we're coming back, and we get back on the boat. It's, the worst, and so we get back on the boat, we're headed back, and it gets rough, like, really, really rough, like, I don't know how, but for some reason, I remember I was sleeping, I don't know, I was 12, so don't judge me too hard, but my dad wakes me up, and I could see it, like, he was stressed, and he looks at me, he's like, put your life jacket on, I'm like, what, like, we're in a boat, like, when you're 12, and your dad is scared, you are terrified, and so in my mind, we're, we're dying. Like, I'm going to die. It's entirely possible I die here. So, like, I start having, as a 12-year-old, I remember so specifically, this is my time to have a moment with God. And I was like, God, like, I, will, I will give up stuff. And, like, in my mind, it's like, it's hard to say not to laugh, so don't laugh yet. I was like, in my mind, I was like, God, I will give up my Pokemon game. And that was it. Like, in my mind, I was like, this is going to get us through, right? And we didn't die. Like that was crazy. But but I don't think my Pokemon game was the reason we didn't die. But that's where our brain goes, right? We like we need to make God happy. There's a situation. We instinct instinctively think sacrifice. Well, let's read the account. Back to Genesis 22. And we're going to start in verse 7. Then Isaac spoke to his father Abraham and said, "My father." And he replied, "Here I am, son." Isaac said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Then the two of them walked on together. When they arrived at the place that God had told him about, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out and took a knife to slaughter his son. I brought a knife here just, I don't know, maybe to bring some effect. So he takes out this knife, not this one. He, t- he takes out he takes out a knife, and like, this, like this is one of the reasons I really think like, he believes his son was going to die. Like he got to the point of taking out the knife. So we continue reading. Where are we at? Reached out and took the knife. Verse ten. So verse eleven. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, "Abraham, Abraham!" Like, he's holding the knife at this point. He replied, here I am. Then he said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. And like when I read this and when when it was read to me as a kid, like everything's so calm and collected. And I just, like, I just think he believed he was going to lose his son. Like I believe he was like probably tremoring. He replied, here am I. Then he said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your only son from me. Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in place of his son. And Abraham named the place, that place, the the Lord will provide. So today it is said, it will be provided on the the Lord's mountain. Man, what a relief. Like I, I can't I cannot fathom. Like what Abraham was thinking and the relief that he experienced that there that God provided the lamb. Like flashback style, Abraham was told by God that you would have a son, and now he's in this moment that he may end up killing him. And then Abraham had total faith in who God was, to the point that I will do whatever it is. And then the lamb was provided. So, so us we are conditioned to sacrifice. You want to be made right before the Father. Oh, what can I give? Like my righteousness, or um, I can give up my wealth, or I can give up this or that. And the thought is like, let me count the cost, and that is so true and appropriate. We should. So there are two things. I just want to make clear there. There's two thoughts here. There's two things going on. Like one, we must acknowledge the tension that exists. That there are sacrifices in our life that do give God pleasure. So the conviction of sin, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the denial of self, the pursuit of holiness. Like we talk about it almost every week when we do communion and we examine ourselves. So the Holy Spirit is working through us and he is convicting us in things and we do give up those things and he is pleased. But that's not what we're talking about in this moment. Because what we're talking about in this moment is, there, is that there is absolutely no sacrifice that you can provide to change your standing before the Father. You cannot reactivate or activate his love by what you can give. And I think that, like, so much so, like, there, there's nothing that we can change our standing. Every, everything that we would try to give and a sacrifice would be similar to, like, how God's mind was changed with my Pokemon game. That's how silly it is. That, that it, can, can we give something up that Jesus will love me? So when the Holy Spirit is working on you and the Father is drawing near, when there are moments that you start questioning things, or maybe there's a moment that you fall into deep sin and you start working your salvation out with fear and trembling. Like, that is appropriate. Like, those are good things to do. Or when maybe your world just burns down and you start to question things and and your initial thought is like, what can I give up? Like, the Father has left me. You may find yourself thinking, what can I give up that will have God love me again? And it's, it's right there. Like, just stop. Like, at that very moment, like, you are looking to sacrifice something that has already been sacrificed for you. John 1.29 says, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. First Peter 1 Peter 118 through 19, for you know that you have you were redeemed from your empty way of life inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. And we must rely fully upon Jesus Christ. Like when when we are thinking about how God loves, it is not what we can give, it is not what we can sacrifice, it is it is purely. Like, our objective is to look at the lamb that was provided. The concept that we're working through is, is called penal substitutionary atonement. Penal meaning penalty, substitutionary meaning a substitute, and atonement to atone for, to reconcile, to be, make, to be made right. So a, a good definition for this is on the cross, the lamb of God, Jesus Christ, absorbed the wrath of God, penalty, or penal For us, substitute, so that we might be made right before God by faith. This entire concept is held within a passage in Romans that I'm going to read to you. And while I'm reading it, think through, is there anything in here that I bring? But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe since there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him as the mercy seat, or by the means which we are forgiven, by his blood, through faith, to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and justify the one who has faith in jesus substitutionary atonement so never look to what you can give up to please god can you imagine if abraham let's say let's say abraham and isaac are standing there and god provided the ram and so abraham and isaac they're they're standing there and the ram is burning and abraham is like he looks at isaac he's like should we be sure? Like, should I still like smoke you? And Isaac would be like, what are you talking about? Like the lamb, it's burning right now. Like it's the sacrifice. So is us when we are like in a messed up space and we're like, where is God? Like, does he not love me? Like, what can I do to make God love me? Like, you can't do anything. Like, there's nothing you can shave off of yourself. There's nothing you can kill or destroy. There's nothing you can sacrifice. The only thing you can do is rely completely on the lamb, Jesus Christ, that has already been sacrificed. Revelation 5, 11 through 13 says this. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels <clears throat> around the throne and also of the living creatures and of the elders. Their number was Countless. Thousands plus thousands of thousands. They said with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb who is slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. (laughs) I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, on the sea, and everything in them say, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever.